Hi, everybody. Welcome. Welcome to worship. Welcome to Schweitzer today. So glad you're here. What a great day of worship it's going to be. I'm Jim, and it's a privilege to be with you. I serve as a pastor and a host for our experience today. If you're a guest, a really special thanks. We're so glad you're here. I want you to know we have a gift for you, and check in with us, and we'll send the gift right out to you. And it is a Starbucks digital gift card. Uh, you'll love it. Enjoy some brew on us. And again, check in with us. We'll send it right out. Today, we're continuing. It's week four of the sermon series, The Apostles' Creed, as we're exploring what we believe and why. And today we're diving into the reality of Jesus dying, but also Jesus lives. And Pastor Spencer's going to lead us through the, the scripture. And God has a message for us all today. So look forward to this really a powerful message. And if you'd like to go deeper, we have a, a link where you can find sermon uh, questions that dive deeper into the sermon and more by going to schweitzer.church slash next. So I really encourage you to do that. Uh, you'll be glad you did. And now let's hear from Stephanie. It's time for Stephanie who keeps us connected. She'll tell us all about what's going on here at Schweitzer. Hi, I'm Stephanie. Coming up this Thursday, February 3rd at 11.30, we're hosting our monthly second season luncheon. If you're planning to attend, please be sure and sign up to guarantee your meal. During this month's program, we're hosting a local medical expert, Dr. Lance Luria, who will share with us about the wisdom of taking care of our whole selves. You can find out more and sign up online at schweitzer.church slash second season. Coming up on Saturday, February 19th at 10 a.m., we're inviting all the ladies to join us for our women's brunch. We're preparing for an awesome event, including music, an interactive talk and activity on the Lord's Prayer, and of course, a delicious brunch. This event is open to ladies of all ages and is a fantastic opportunity to be encouraged and to meet other ladies here at Schweitzer. You can find out more and sign up and bring a guest with you at schweitzer.church women. Our congregational care ministries strive to keep in touch with people who might not be able to attend our in-person services for whatever reason. If you know of someone who would benefit from a call, a visit, or a card, you can contact the church office to let us know or talk with Sheila Pippen in the lobby today. In February, our porch angels will be delivering a special gift to our homebound. This is a really great way that we can care for our congregation. We are so grateful that you're here today. Let's continue with worship. Thanks so much, Stephanie. We really appreciate you and all your good work keeping us connected. If you're worshiping with us live today, we invite you to engage as a chat feature on your screen. Go ahead and access that. Uh, tell us uh, what you're thinking today. Say hi to your friends. Give us your insights. We would really love to hear from you. So thanks for doing that. Also, if you would like to receive prayer, there's a prayer button. We have people who would love to pray with you. So please uh, receive the, the gift of prayer today. And now this is the day the Lord has made. So let's, uh, let's worship together. Let's give our whole selves to God as we enjoy worship together.
is no fear Cause I believe There is no doubt Cause I have seen Your faithfulness My fortress Over and over I have a strength found in your grace your faithfulness my fortress over and over make way through the waters walk me through the fire do what you are famous for what you are famous for shut the mouths of lions Bring dry bones to life and do what you are famous for, what you are famous for. I believe in you, God, I believe in you. Release your love inside of me, release your power. Spirit come and fall on us over and over. Oh, make way through the waters, walk me through the fire. Do what you are famous for, what you are famous for. Shut the mouths of lions, bring troubles to life. You will never fail Your name is powerful Your word's unstoppable All things are possible in you God of exceedingly God of abundantly More than we ask or think Lord, you will never fail Your name is powerful your words unstoppable, all things are possible in you. Make way through the waters, walk me through the fire, do what you are famous for, you are famous for. Shut the mouths of lions, bring troubles to nothing, do what you are famous for, what you are famous
As we come to this time of prayer together, it is always so good to pray together. We thank God again for the gift of prayer relationship and how prayer changes the world, changes us, uh, and really matters in our lives. It's a foundation of the Christian life and following Jesus. And this week, we're talking about, as part of the Apostles' Creed, and the central part of the Creed, it speaks to the reality of Jesus' death, that Jesus really died, and that Jesus lives, the reality that Jesus is resurrected. And in the Gospel of John, I love the story of when Lazarus, Jesus' good friend, dies. And Jesus is deeply moved and troubled and even weeps over this death. And he tells Lazarus' sisters that, to, that he is the resurrection and the life. And whoever believes in him will live. And so it's in this sentiment, this reality, this power, I invite us to pray together. The words will be on your screen. It's a prayer of resurrection, prayer of resurrection. So let's pray together. O risen Lord, be our resurrection and life. Be the resurrection and the life for us and all whom you have made. Be the resurrection and the life for those caught in the grip of sin and addiction. Be the resurrection and the life for those who feel forsaken. Be the resurrection and the life for those who live as if you do not. Be the resurrection and the life for those who do not believe they need resurrection and life. Be the resurrection and the life for anyone, anywhere, who knows suffering and death in any form, and for creation itself, which groans in travail. And be the resurrection and the life, and the life we share, and the fellowship we enjoy, filled anew with the wonder of your love and the power of your grace. O risen Lord, be our resurrection and life. Lord, we thank you that you are our resurrection and life. You are our hope now and hope eternally. We are so grateful that you have overcome death and that you, you know, having really died and now live all that we experience and that you are deeply moved and troubled by death itself and that you weep for us and we thank you that you pray for us still. Lord, we love you and we praise you. And now we pray together the, the prayer you taught us, Lord. We pray with humility and assurance and confidence in saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. As we come to this time of offering together, we thank God for God's generosity and care in providing for us tangibly 
uh, all our needs. And so again, as we come into this time, we give back to God out of all that God gives to us. We give of tithes and offerings, our gifts. We really appreciate yours. That really makes the ministries happen here, coupled with the power of the Holy Spirit, whether it's the student ministry, kids, the entire campus, from restoration ministries and uh, the coach house, or Jobs for Life, which a class is about to begin. So, so many ministries are changing lives, transforming lives. And so again, coupled with the power of the Holy Spirit, your gifts matter and we appreciate them. We can all continue to give throughout the year by going to schweitzer.church slash give, or another really easy way to give is, is through the Church Center app. Look for Schweitzer Church, download the app, and again, you can give just really easily. Also, you can find out all that's going on here at Schweitzer from groups to events, whatever. Download the app, you'll be glad you did. Stay connected. And now let's uh, let's look forward to, Pastor Spencer's gonna lead us in the scripture. It's week four of the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, believe the, Father God Almighty, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. Heaven and, earth. and in Jesus Christ, his only, Christ, son, his only our son, Lord, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, by the Holy Spirit born, of the born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven and setteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Well, welcome today. I'm so glad that you're here with us. My name is Spencer, and today is part four of our series on the Apostles' Creed. The Apostles' Creed is, is really the basic confession of Christian faith. It's what all Christians in all places at all times have believed. And so we're just walking through this basic confession of faith, and we're asking really two questions each week as we go. Uh, what is it that we believe and why? What do we believe as Christians and why? What, why, do, why do these things matter? And so each week we're just taking a little bit of the creed, section by section, thought by thought, line by line, and walking our way through it. And, and now in the week four, we've come to this middle section of the creed, which is all about Jesus. And so here's what the Apostles' Creed says about Jesus, what we believe about Jesus. It says that we believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose from the dead, he ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty, and will come again to judge the living and the dead. Now, we just said a ton with that. I mean, oh my goodness, there's so much there. In fact, we're taking three weeks to walk through this middle section of what the creed says about Jesus. Last week, we talked about his birth and, and uh, how he was born of the Virgin Mary. Uh, today, we're going to talk about his death and resurrection, how he is uh, alive again. And then next week, we'll talk about his, his uh, victorious return as we break this down. And of course, the big idea that holds this whole section together is the first line of the creed where we say that we believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord. 
I mean, if we're going to say anything about Jesus, we have to say that, that Jesus is the Son of God. Because sometimes we miss this and we think that Jesus is a, is a good teacher. He's a good moral example. This is who he is. But, but no, no, no. Our, our confession is he's actually the Son of God, fully God, fully man. And because this is who he is, that he is God, he's always been, always will be. Uh, he is the creator along with the Father and the Spirit. And because this is who he is, he is the way the only way of salvation. He, he is the way, the truth, and the life, as he himself said. And so we confess that Jesus is, is the Son of God and the Lord, that he is, he is everything. And, and what the Apostles' Creed then does is it, it gives us three ways that we see Jesus being the Son of God, our Lord. One is his birth, as we said. He was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. Jesus didn't like become God later in his life. He was born God. He has always been, always will be. He himself is fully God, fully man. Uh, today it will be his death and resurrection and the next week his victorious return. These three ways that we see Jesus as the Lord, as the Son of God. So today we're going to be talking about his death and resurrection. And here's specifically what the Apostles' Creed says about his death and resurrection. Four, four lines. Uh, first, that he suffered under Pontius Pilate, that he was crucified, dead, and buried, that he descended into hell, and that he, and that he uh, on the third day, he, that he rose from the dead. Four things there that we see. And in these four lines, there are two really, really big points that you got to catch. If you're taking notes, you'll want to write these things down. Two big points that we see out of, uh, out of these, these four lines. First, the big, big point we got to catch is this, that Jesus really, 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 really died. <laughs> That's the first thing. You got to catch it. That's what the Apostles' Creed is telling us, that Jesus really, really, really died. He didn't just look like he died. He, he actually died. He wasn't just severely injured on the cross. He was actually dead. This is what we have here. There's that line in there that we say that he descended into hell. You know, I grew up going to church and in the church I grew up in, we never said that line. I don't really know why we didn't say that line, but sometimes churches don't say that line. But that line's really, really important because it's reinforcing this idea that Jesus, he really, really, really died. Some versions of the creed will say that that uh, he descended into the, into, the, into the dead, which is probably a better way of saying that. But this is the idea that Jesus really, really, really died. That's the first point of those four lines of the creed. And here's the second point, really, really important. But if Jesus really, really, really died, well, that means that Jesus really, really, really lives. That the resurrection actually happened. That the resurrection is a real reality. It's not just a metaphor. It's not something that's figurative. We're not just saying that Jesus is alive in our thoughts. We're not saying that it's a metaphor, that God's cause wins or that good wins in the end. That's not what we're saying with the Apostles' Creed, that we're saying that Jesus Christ, he's actually alive. And so when we say that on the third day he rose from the dead, here's what we mean by that. You ready? We mean that on the third day he actually rose from the dead literally, physically, historically, that this actually happened. And, and I know, I know when I say that, that some of us, you know, we, we kind of scoff at that idea. Like even churchgoers, we kind of scoff at that. Like maybe not even outside. Maybe we don't actually like say it. We don't, we don't you know, say it out loud. But maybe on the inside, we, we just kind of like think to ourselves, really, come on. Are we really believing that this person actually historically, physically rose from the dead? And we kind of meet that with some skepticism, like, do you really expect me to believe that? And I just I want to answer you just, you know, pastorally as your pastor today, just I want to give you a, a kind and gentle answer to that question, if that's something you have. And so, you know, do we really believe that Jesus rose from the dead? And just, you know, my answer is this, um, yes. 
We do. We absolutely believe that. Because if Jesus didn't actually historically, literally, physically rise from the dead, then we have no hope. But he did, and this is what we celebrate today. So today, what I want to show you is, is the, this hope that we have in the resurrection of Jesus. I want to look at it biblically. What does the Bible say about this? And one of the best places to go about this hope that we have in Christ because of his resurrection is 1 Corinthians 15. Now, 1 Corinthians 15 is one of the most important verse chapters in the whole Bible um, that probably most of us, many of us, have never really read, or if we have, we just kind of read right through it. I mean, 1 Corinthians 15, it's so, so, so crucial to the gospel, but, but it's not one of those like, uh, like those sexy chapters, like, you know, John 3. John 3 is about how you're born again, or you got John 3, 16, how, you know, God loved the world, so he sent his own son. And those are verses we talk about all the time. They get a lot of airtime. Or Romans chapter 8, oh my goodness, so much airtime that, you know, nothing in all of creation could ever separate us from the love of, love of God and Christ. And so we have these, these kind of like really famous uh, passages and chapters that get so much airtime. And 1 Corinthians 15 is not one of those, but it needs to be because it's so, so crucial to the gospel. Um, 1 Corinthians 15 is the lengthiest and most detailed chapter that we have in the Bible about the resurrection and why it matters. So let's go read this, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. This is written by Paul. Uh, it's, it's quite lengthy. We're not going to read all of it, but I want to read enough of it that you understand and get the, the message that's here and the hope that we have in the resurrection of Jesus. And so here's what Paul says. Here's the verse, first verse. It says, Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, and on which you have taken your stand. Catch that, that you've taken your stand. When it comes to the resurrection, this whole chapter we're reading here is about the resurrection. Like this is a time to take your stand. This is a, a line in the sand that we draw that we do not cross. This is, this is one of those non-negotiable kinds of things that we talk about as Christians. This is one of those like we die on this hill kind of place. Like I don't want to get in a fight about everything. This is not of secondary importance when it comes to theology. This is of utmost primary importance. We take our stand on this one. And so here we go. Keep reading here. Paul says, by this gospel, you are saved. If you hold firmly to the word I preach to you, otherwise you have believed in vain. Now I want you to catch this. Paul's talking about the gospel. He's, he's mentioning this. I'm preaching the gospel to you. You're going to take your stand on this gospel. This is, this is what, I'm, what I'm offering to you today as we talk about the resurrection is this, is this gospel. And, and I don't know how you would describe the gospel. How would you describe it to somebody else? And and I, you know, if you kind of struggle with that, let me give you a, a one sentence description of what the gospel is. Just a really short, succinct description. One sentence of what the gospel is. And here it is. Ready? Jesus Christ, the Son of God, rose from the dead. That's the gospel. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, rose from the dead. That's it. That is the gospel. The gospel is the proclamation that this thing has happened. Now, sometimes we get this confused and, and we like to talk about things that happen because of the gospel. Like, like you go to church and uh, preachers like myself, we love to talk about uh, the outcomes of the gospel, the things that happen because of this, like how Jesus changes our lives, how we're forgiven and saved and we have hope and, and how we have peace in our life, how relationships can be healed, all these kinds of things that come because of this. But the reason those things are true is because Jesus Christ, the Son of God, rose from the dead. Like the, the reason we have these outcomes is because this thing has happened. And so the word gospel, what it means is good news. 
It's news. It's a proclamation that something has happened. And the something that's happened is that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, that he rose from the dead. This is the gospel. This is what we proclaim. And so let's not get it confused with the outcomes of the gospel. Let's let's remember that the actual message we proclaim is that he is alive. And so we keep reading here. Um, It's a primary importance. This is where we take our stand. This is the gospel that Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. So here's verse three. Paul says, for what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance. This is the resurrection. It's of first importance that Christ died for our sins according to the scripture, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scripture. It sounds like the Apostles' Creed here. And that he appeared to Cephas, that is uh, Peter, and then to the 12. We'll skip down to um, verse 12 here. Paul says, but, but if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? So here's what's happening here in 1 Corinthians. Remember, this is a letter that was written to some real people in a real place in real time. And there are people in this church in Corinth who Paul is writing to who are pushing back against the resurrection. They're, they're, they kind of have questions about it, which is really interesting to me because, you know, as modern people, we tend to think about ancient people like, you know, in Bible times as being kind of naive and superstitious. You know, they didn't have science like we do. And so they, you know, they believed in silly things like miracles and resurrections and things like that. And so we get, you know, tend to get real judgmental towards uh, people in, uh, in Bible times because they believed these silly things because they didn't have a scientific worldview like we do. And we know, we know so much better than they do. But I, I just want you to hear this. Um, you don't have to be a modern person with modern science and a modern scientific worldview to understand that dead people don't come back, that death is final. Like even people in the ancient world, in first century, even they knew that death was final, especially death on a cross. And and that's really important here because for them, it might have been even more true, even more suspicious, more difficult for them to, to wrap their minds around the resurrection because the way that Jesus died, I mean, Jesus didn't die like in a hospital room. He wasn't on hospice. He didn't die in his sleep. Like, like he died in a very gruesome kind of way that, that especially people don't come back from. And, and that might be harder for us to grasp than it was maybe in the first century because when it comes to the cross, you know, as modern people, we've kind of sanitized it a bit. You know, we, we don't talk about how gruesome it was. Instead, we wear it as jewelry or maybe we put it in our homes or even in this room, we have it in a beautiful uh, cross in the back of our sanctuary that we look at and, and it's this thing of beauty. But, but in reality, for the people in the first century who would have received these, these words and proclaimed this message, the cross was, was just utterly gruesome. It was humiliating and shameful. It was an execution tool that was used by the Romans to kill the worst of the worst criminals. Like, if you want to know who the bad guys were in the first century, it's the guys who get crucified. That's who it is. Because there's other execution methods the Romans had, but the cross was meant for the worst of the worst. And and oh my goodness, the Romans, they put work into making the cross terrible. I mean, one of the things they, they did is they made sure that everyone saw you when you were crucified. 
just humiliate you as you are crucified. So it's just a shameful thing that takes place as, as you slowly die on the cross. And so one of the things they would do is they would put crosses up outside of all of the major cities, the gates as people would come in on hills, as they would come into town, they would see these crosses and people um, hanging there. It'd be like if you're coming into Springfield and on I-44 and, and 65 Highway, there's a bunch of crosses with people uh, hanging there. That's what it would have been like, just utterly humiliating and shameful. And the cross, it wasn't like you died quickly. It was a, a, like you didn't die from blood loss or trauma. You die on a cross by slowly suffocating as you can't pull yourself up anymore to breathe as you're tied or nailed to these beams. Like it's a terrible, terrible, terrible way to, to die. And, and so in the first century, these people, as they spread into the world and they, they shared this message that Jesus, the Son of God, was crucified and is now alive, people would hear that and be like, Wait now, what'd you say? Did you say he was crucified and now he's alive? That would have made no sense to them because to be crucified, no one comes back from that. And, and on top of it, that's such a shameful kind of thing. And so for them, it might've been even more difficult for them to wrap their minds around the resurrection than it is for us as modern people because of our distance that we have to the cross. But what's here in the first century or true in modern times as well, is that sometimes when we're presented with the cross and the resurrection, it's uncomfortable. We don't know what to do with it. And so sometimes we maybe put it at arm's length and we're just not quite sure what to do. And so sometimes what people will do is they'll, they'll maybe even downgrade or, or downplay the cross. And there are, man, whole denominations. I won't name them, but there's whole denominations that will downplay the cross and will take references to the blood out of the songs that we sing, the hymns. Or, and when they, oftentimes what they do when, when that happens is that the, the resurrection then becomes a metaphor as if Jesus metaphorically rose from the dead. It's a metaphor of new life. It's a metaphor of a changed life. And, and listen, if, if you ever go to a church that uh, they're preaching that Jesus didn't actually historically, physically, literally rise from the dead, I just want to give you a little bit of pastoral advice here. Uh, you need to run. Like, don't walk, run. Because the, the gospel message, however uncomfortable it might be, however difficult it might be to understand, has to be that Jesus actually physically, historically rose from the dead. This is what we hold to. This is the hope that we have. And so we keep reading here, um, verse verse uh, 14, the next verse, the verse 13, next verse, we just keep on this idea that, well, of course he rose from the dead because this is our hope. Let's keep reading here. It says, if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. So they're not just pushing back at... Uh, the resurrection of Jesus, but even the resurrection that we will receive because of Jesus. We keep reading here, verse 14. He says, and if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless and so is your faith. More than that, we are then found to be false witnesses about God for we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead, but he did not raise him if in fact the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, listen, 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 listen. Your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then those who are also have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. The resurrection is not to be compromised. This is not something just to be thought about, not something to be metaphor, to be a metaphor. This is something that is absolutely pivotal to the gospel. And without it, we lose everything. 
We keep reading here. We're going to go to verse 30 and stay on the same, the same theme here of, of how we're lost without it. Paul goes on, he says, and as, as for us himself, he's talking about, why do we endanger ourselves every hour? I face death every day. Yes, just as surely as I boast about you in Christ Jesus, our Lord. If I fought wild beasts in Ephesus, the hard things he's done with no more than human hopes, what have I gained? If the dead are not raised, he says, let us eat and drink for tomorrow we die. In other words, let's just live for today. Let's live it up because we have no hope for eternal life if Jesus isn't actually raised. We go to verse 35. Paul says, but someone will ask, how? (laughs) I love this. How are the dead raised? With what kind of body will they come? I love this. The pushback to the resurrection is like, okay, okay, okay. Let's get technical. How does this actually take place? What's the mechanism that raised Jesus from the dead and us as well? And so for the next 16 verses, I'm not going to read them all to you. I encourage you to go read them yourselves. Paul is basically going to go into a detailed explanation. It gets a little confusing, but here's the gist of it. Um, The way that Jesus is raised from the dead is the way that we will be raised from the dead. This is the point of his argument, that Jesus was physically, historically, literally raised from the dead. This is the the truth that we have, that his body was incorruptible, but it's still a a body that he has has been resurrected. And, And as that happens, here's the hope that this is also going to happen to us that just as Jesus is resurrected, you will be resurrected. And if Jesus was resurrected in a physical body, because remember in the Bible, he, like he was touched. Remember Thomas touched his hands, his sides. People held on to him. He ate. He had a physical body. And the same way that when we are resurrected, we'll have a physical body. We're not just going to be like spirits, you know, up in the clouds doing harps and those kinds of things, whatever spirits do. No, no, we're actually going to be raised from the dead like Jesus was. This is the hope that we have. And so um, as we keep reading here, we, we skip forward just a, just a little bit to, um, to verse 51. And Paul says this, he says, listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. He's talking about the resurrection. In a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For the imperishable must clothe itself with the the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable, and the mortal with the immortality. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true: Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? Listen, listen, listen. The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God. He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. And why is it not in vain? Well, because Jesus Christ has been raised from the dead. This is of first importance. This is the gospel message itself is that Jesus is alive. 1 Corinthians 15 is so incredibly important. It's so, so crucial as it lays out the the reason that we have hope. It's the reason that we can follow Christ. It's the reason why we can live with a hopeful life is because Jesus Christ is raised from the dead. Listen, you see, the invitation of the gospel is the invitation for life, for resurrection life, for eternal life. It's the invitation for the victory of God to fill your life. This is what the invitation of the gospel is. And this invitation is before us because Jesus 
the Son of God, our Lord, that he has suffered for you, that he was given for you, that he went through the worst of our sin for you, and then he rose victoriously. And because he rose victoriously, you can have hope for everlasting life, the resurrection of the dead. You can have hope that just as Jesus has been raised, you will be raised. You can have hope. That, that this is true for you. You don't have to wonder. You don't have to guess. You don't have to keep thinking, I wonder what happens after I die. This is the, the hope that we have is that because Jesus has been raised, you will be too. The hope that we have when we have faith in Christ, we have hope for life everlasting. When we take God at his word and we trust him with our life, this is what we receive. The invitation of the gospel, it's not to be a good person. The invitation of the gospel is not just to be feeling better about ourselves. The invitation of the gospel is that we might receive the resurrection of Jesus into our life. And the reason why this is the invitation of the gospel is because Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, our Lord, well, he suffered under Pontius Pilate. He was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. And on the third day, he rose from the dead. Today, as we close, what we're going to do is we're going to pray together as we normally do. And then I want to invite you to join with me in saying the words of the Apostles' Creed, affirming our faith in what all Christians in all places at all times have believed, these basic confessions of the Christian faith, including how Jesus Christ has been raised from the dead. Let's pray together. So, Father, today, we give you thanks. We are humbled at the mystery of resurrection. It's difficult for some of us. It's hard to understand and comprehend. There's a mystery to this that, that, that doesn't make sense to our modern rational minds, just as it didn't make sense in the first century either. And yet, here's the hope that we have, that Jesus Christ is actually alive. And because he's actually alive, the grave is really empty. We can have hope in you. I wanna pray for anyone today who doesn't have this hope. Anyone today who looks at, at life everlasting and doesn't know where they stand, would today be a day where they can cross the line of faith with a simple prayer, a simple prayer of faith to say, Jesus Christ, would you forgive me my sin? Would you lead my life? That's all we're asking, Lord, is that you might come into our life. The resurrection life of Jesus might fill us because we believe and we confess that Jesus Christ, while he has died, he is alive, that the grave is empty, and therefore we have hope, not just for this life, but for everlasting life. Lord, we love you and we thank you and we join together our voices as we say the words of the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God the Father Almighty, the maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose from the dead, he ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty and will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Thanks everybody for being in worship today. It's been a really, really good day. Special thanks to Stephanie for always keeping us connected. Worship team, uh, you bless us today. Our day is better because of your gifts. So thanks for leading us in worship. Spencer for the message, the message of hope. 
it comes through the reality that Jesus, Jesus lives. Jesus is alive. And if you know somebody who could be encouraged by this message, who needs uh, some hope today and encouragement, share it on social media. Uh, again, thanks for doing that. We appreciate you. And so we'll see you back here n- next week for week five of the Apostles' Creed. Uh, can't wait uh, to be back here with you. Uh, go Chiefs and happy football watching. God bless you. Have a great week. Shame is on.